It's 12.08. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hope you enjoyed the weekend. Let's get started. As we always begin the program, three big things. Story number one, well, the new police chief dealing with issues that confronted the old police chief as well. Some people in the community thinking, well, the, the police, you know, go overboard. I don't subscribe to that, at least not in this case. You perhaps have seen the video. If you want to see the story with a link to the video, you can text me the word um, police, P-O-L-I-C-E, to 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And text me the word police. But this is the the story and the aftermath on the arrest of a guy last Wednesday. Um, if you haven't been following the story, what happens is last Wednesday about 630 Officers receive a call. Um, there's a, a call that goes in, I believe, to 911 reporting domestic violence or a possible break-in at 30, around 3800 North 50th Street. All right, the caller tells a dispatcher that a man had kicked in her door and she was hiding behind a car. Um, apparently, the dispatch accounts say the person who called said the man hadn't been acting normal since the weekend. So the officers respond. They get out. Um, they find him on 51st and Capitol. And they find the guy. He, he's on the street. And they start talking to him, trying to get him to calm down. He's screaming his name. He's saying, I'm king, whatever. And, and he's he's shouting, at which point in time the officers then begin to try to take him into custody. At this point in time, he begins resisting. The district attorney's office has issued a criminal complaint this morning charging the man, Demetrius Lowe, with various counts of battery to a law enforcement officer. Here's what the DA's office said happened. Again, police go to the area around 51st Street. Upon arriving, they see the defendant near the intersection wearing a blue shirt. He's screaming, I'm King James. All right, police order him to stop. And as one of the officers tries to take control of his right arm and another tries to take control of his left arm, he pulls away, flails his arm, balls his fist, and stares at one of the officers and begins to come directly at him. The officer pulls out his pepper spray, sprays him. That has no effect on the defendant. The defendant, this is Demetrius Lowe, then punches the one officer in the face. It knocks him backward. Um... The defendant starts to try to run away. As a result of the punch in the face, the one officer suffered a broken mustache bone. So you've got one cop injured, broken bone in his face. The police reach the defendant uh, again as he's trying to run away. Here there's another officer. He takes control of the back of the defendant's shirt and tries to take control of his right arm. So now one of the officers has been battered, broken mustache bone. They're still trying to get the guy under control. Three officers surround him. They deliver baton strikes to the defendant to no avail. The defendant turns to face another officer, punches him above his left eye, knocking him to the ground. He then punches him on both sides of his head. Um, This injured his head. Another officer responds to the call, positions himself behind the defendant. The defendant turns around while that officer was behind him, strikes that officer in the face, knocking him backwards. Another officer suffered a left sprain, left thumb sprain from struggling with him in the incident. So you, you have this, this various assault. One of the officers has a broken bone. You have perhaps seen some of the cell phone video of this, which shows the officers trying to subdue him, including multiple baton strikes, 
none of which appears to be having any impact on this man who is, I assume, in the middle of a psychotic episode, but who has assaulted police officers. One of the police officers has been put on administrative leave. Three others have been suspended pending investigation. Our number, 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So you think you want to be a police officer. Over the weekend, there were family and friends of this man who were out there protesting, objecting to you know the tactics that the police had to use. The police union says part of the problem here is that apparently the officers weren't allowed, or at least some of them weren't allowed to take tasers out because whoever was in charge of the station had put up a sign saying, hey, we're missing a couple of the taser holsters, so nobody gets to take tasers out until um, the holsters show up again. Oh, that's real good management. But the bigger point is, what are the police officers supposed to do? You come upon the scene, you have somebody who is completely and totally out of control, who has assaulted one police officer, punched him in the face, um, been pepper sprayed, that hasn't stopped him. At some point in time, don't you have to do what you can to subdue him? In many cases, I will tell you, I think some officers might have pulled out their service revolver and, and shot as a result of being attacked by the guy. These police officers did not do that. Do they deserve to be disciplined? Do they deserve to be suspended? Or is this a situation where, all right, police officers called into a situation not of their making, faced with faced with someone who is completely and totally out of control, who is intent on assaulting all of them? 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you, I think in trying to bring this guy under control, I think the police showed restraint in not escalating this. By that, I mean not pulling out weapons. The reason there has the problem here was because of the aggressive behavior of the defendant, in this case, who managed to severely injure several police officers, or at least severely injure one and injure others. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Bob in Waukesha. Bob, you're first. Good afternoon, Jeff. How Hi, Bob. I'm well, thank you. Yeah, uh, I, I have to tell you, Jeff, I've watched the video, and, and there's a possibility uh, that we're not seeing everything, but I am absolutely aghast that there have been officers relieved of duty and suspended. Uh, but from my perspective, he was prevailing first and foremost. Uh, they did nothing wrong. I didn't see any excessive force. Because he was still struggling when he's on the ground. People are saying, well, they hit him when he was on the ground. Well, yeah, he he's still struggling and wrestling. It's not like he suddenly becomes compliant with the officers. Absolutely. And one of the officers I see after he's down uh, takes his right knee. And there's nothing at all inappropriate about that. Would, would this community sooner have five or six or however many police officers there dead? Is that what they want? Right. Or 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 in this case, the suspect dead. Like I say, I mean, after after he starts attacking in one case, I mean, he he came after that, that first police officer that he punched in the face. He came after him. And once you see a scenario like that, I, I mean, I think in many respects, it is a credit to the officers that they decided that they were not going to employ deadly force in a situation like this and partly as a result of that decision a couple of them got injured and for that they're getting suspended it's mind-boggling to me without question and and they talk about the the defendant is dimitri or dimitrius mm-hmm. or right. they talk about him his face bleeding they make no mention 
of the officer on the video who obviously has blood on his yeah, well, well, right, because right, because he was attacked. I mean, thanks. For, look, look, this is a bad situation. I, I understand that, but put yourself in the perspective of the Milwaukee police officers. You are responding to this call. You're told that there's somebody who is trying to kick in a door. You find the guy. He, I mean, I don't know if he's in the middle of a psychotic, a psychotic, you know, situation or episode or not. But all right, they're, they're trying to get him to stop. He's refusing to do that. He then, when the police officers, you know, try to, you know, take him into custody, he fights with them. He punches one in the face. He punches others and continues to struggle. Pepper spray doesn't work. Well, at some point in time, you have to subdue him unless you're going to let him, you know, beat up all the officers. I mean, I'm telling you, once you start punching police officers in one of these situations, um, I, I think the, the, the justification for being able to use appropriate force to take him into custody goes up dramatically. 414-799-1620. Sarah in Madison. Hi, Sarah. You're on WTMJ. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. This, this one just struck a nerve again. I'm so tired of hearing of these events, and after the fact, it's like, oh, the police officers have to change their behavior. The police officers have to handle things differently. How about the people in society change their behavior and act differently so these incidents don't even happen? Well, yeah, right. I mean, how did this, to your point, how how did this happen? Why did this happen? Well, it happened because you had, you know, in this case, it is the man who's been charged who attacked multiple police officers. Now, maybe he was in the middle of a psychotic episode. That's fine. But it doesn't change the fact that he's assaulting police officers and they have to be expected to do something. I mean, I was always raised, there's consequences for your actions, and this may be one of them, and you just kind of then, I mean, I hate to be brutally blunt, but you just suck it up then and, and take what you get. Well, right, and and, and maybe this leads to a, a broader discussion about how, I mean, when, when you confront somebody who appears to be dangerously mentally ill in the middle of one of these episodes, how, how do we confront it? Do the police... Do we just simply say, okay, well, well, don't engage and let the guy walk away? Or, uh, I mean, I, and I don't know. I mean, I'll leave that to smarter people than me to figure out. But all I know is the police officers, they're responding to this call. They've got the guy that refuses to obey, attacks them. Pepper spray doesn't work. At some point in time, you know, they got to bring him down. You can't just allow him to go wandering around the street kicking in doors. Well, and then devil's advocate on that, say they, they don't engage him and he goes on and how do you know he doesn't have a gun or a knife and then he shoots or attacks somebody else then the police officers are bad for not taking him down sooner yes i mean right that right thanks for calling and at some point in time it's like okay how the, the the bottom line is none of this happens the defendant doesn't get kicked and hit with batons and pepper sprayed the police don't end up in the hospital if the defendant simply, in this case, this Demetrius Lowe, simply did what the police asked him to do when they arrived on the scene, which was to stop so they could have gotten control of the situation. The whole thing then goes away. It doesn't become a problem. It's not an issue. But again, now we're going to be looking at the police officers. And I, I really wonder whether or not this is something that the new chief believes. Now, like I say, you've got three of the officers who are on paid leave, one who's been suspended. Um, I, I really wonder, is this is this 
the way that the police chief believes it, or is this the police chief pandering to certain segments of the community? Because I tell you, I read this criminal complaint, I look at what the police were confronted with, and the idea that you are going to even consider disciplining police officers for this, well, if that's the case, this new chief is apparently prepared to throw his officers under the bus at a drop of the hat. And it's unfortunate that this happened. I mean, it's unfortunate that this happened. No question about it. And again, maybe you need to say, do we have to change our protocol for people who are mentally ill? And and how do you do that? Do you just let them go away? Um, do you let them walk away? Because if they're mentally ill, they're not in their right mind, and this is the type of thing that is foreseeable. Or do we say, no, we, we need the cops to be able to restrain somebody, take them under control, and if they fight, well, what happens is on them. It's 1221. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1224, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, the world's largest music festival, is right around the corner, and Wisconsin's Morning News wants to send you there all this week. Gene Miller and the Morning Crew are going to be giving away four packs of tickets to the big gig. And if you don't win tickets, don't forget to come see WTMJ at the Gruber Law Office's Sports Zone. We will be broadcasting live throughout the entire run of the festival. Yeah, that is going to be a lot of fun. Big story number two. Why can't you just say I'm sorry and move on? All right, Lena Taylor. Everybody knows this story. State Senator Lena Taylor, who is not known for impulse control. A few weeks ago, she's at this bank, Wells Fargo Bank, downtown Milwaukee. She's trying to find out. She's trying to cash a check that was written to her by a tenant. She's trying to find out if there's money in the account. The teller tells her he can't tell her that. Instead of just saying, okay, I understand that's your policy, she she goes all Lena Taylor on the teller, who happens to be African-American and myself. Um, as she's doing that, she, she's yelling. There is a disturbance. Um, there's other police that apparently are in the bank on some other thing. They see this disturbance. Um, at one point in time, Taylor, and now she says um, that um, she says to the teller, you did a really good job today of acting today like a good house and then uses a racial slur. She goes on an urban radio station today and says that um, she believes that she could speak as she did because um, she was addressing an African-American. Um, she's bothered that some consider it a racial slur, um, et cetera, et cetera. And it, then it goes from there. She puts out a statement complaining about the news coverage of this. What does she say? I strongly object to the nature and characterization of my visit to the Wells Fargo Branch Bank. A police report and subsequent coverage in certain media outlets continues a constant, consistent pattern of unfair treatment and a misrepresentation of the facts when dealing with African-Americans, especially those who vigorously advocate for themselves and their community. She's playing the race card. Here you have this out-of-control state senator, and this is not the first time that she has been in a situation where she takes the attitude, if she's wrong, be strong. She gets upset. She gets angry. Instead of simply saying, I had a bad day, I'm sorry about this, here, I, I was loud, I was abusive, give me the $195 ticket and I'll pay it, she's now contrived this whole thing about, it's not my fault, I'm, I'm a victim here. This continues a consistent pattern of unfair treatment and a misrepresentation of facts when dealing with African-Americans. No, it's not African-Americans. It's you, Lena Taylor, who refuses to accept responsibility for your actions. You've got the impulse control, in my opinion, of a fruit fly. And rather than simply, again, acknowledge that what you did was wrong, sorry, I'm an adult, 
I shouldn't be doing these types of things. She flies into this rage and then tries to portray herself as a victim. The double standard, of course, comes in that if it was any any white politician who did something like this, you know that Al Sharpton would have helicoptered into Milwaukee. They would be camped out on the front lawn of wherever that politician lived. There would be all sorts of protests. Of course, since it's Lena Taylor, you get essentially crickets on this case. This is yet another example where, unfortunately, it I think indicates pretty clearly that this is someone who does not have the temperament to be in the state Senate. Certainly nothing to be proud of, but she's playing the darn race card. Absolutely unbelievable. It's 1228. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1235. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. As long as we're speaking about double standards in the last segment, if, if any Republican politician, probably white or black, had said in a public setting in a heated argument with a bank teller what Lena Taylor said by her own admission, you understand this would be, it would be headlines, CNN would be here, MSNBC would be here, people would be calling for that person to be tossed out of office. Well, all right, because it is a Democrat politician, there is, in fact, that double standard. And, and again, it's the double standard that gets so frustrating. Well, here's another example of the double standard. There is a law that has been on the books for hundreds of years called the Logan Act, and it's never, ever, ever been prosecuted before. The, the Logan Act goes back to, um, actually, the, the time when this country was first founded, and, and what it essentially says is that U.S. citizens are, are not supposed to try to influence the measures or conduct of any foreign government in relation to disputes with the U.S., all right, it, it's a, and it, again, it, it goes back to the the 1700s when you didn't want uh, people, U.S. citizens in Europe, pretending to act as if they were representatives of the government when they really weren't. That that that's it. The Logan Act. I, I think there's all sorts of issues with the First Amendment with it. it. It's never a prosecution has never been brought under the Logan Act, but it's on the books. Now, you might have heard of the Logan Act because if you remember back to after President Trump was elected, but before he was inaugurated, his his to-be um, national security advisor, Michael Flynn, allegedly had meetings with uh, members of the Russian government. Now, I think the, these meetings were essentially kind of let's get to know you things and all right, you know, here's where we're going to be after January of 2017 when the Trump administration takes over. All right, I, you will recall perhaps that there was an absolute forest fire. If you paid attention to these talking head shows, CNN, MSNBC, um, ABC, NBC, CBS, all these different reports, and certainly the New York Times and the Washington Post, it seemed like every liberal activist lawyer crawled out from wherever and was on TV saying, oh, this is a violation of the Logan Act. Here, you know, look look for him to be prosecuted and look for Donald Trump to be named as an unindicted co-conspirator because President-elect Trump's to-be national security advisor 
is apparently in some preliminary conversations with Russia talking about, hey, you know, in, in a month or so, you know, these are the things, this is how we'd like our relationship to be better, et cetera, et cetera. Violations of the Logan Act. This is terrible. Well, nothing ever came of it. Now, Michael Flynn's been charged with making false statements to investigators, and we'll see how that whole thing ends up playing out ultimately. But, but I bring up the Logan Act because it's now been reported that former Secretary of State John Kerry, Democrat, former Democratic Senator, Secretary of State under Barack Obama, he has apparently been meeting with and lobbying foreign governments engaging in shadow diplomacy, trying to save the Iran deal that he helped broker when he was the Secretary of State. Apparently, the Boston Globe is reporting that Kerry met privately two weeks ago with Iranian foreign minister, the Iranian foreign minister to discuss ways to try to preserve the Iranian nuclear pact, which Donald Trump has said is a bad deal, it's unverifiable, and we're looking to get out of it. This is the deal which is supposed to prevent Iran from developing nuclear weapons in exchange for us easing economic sanctions. Not just content to meet with the Iranian um, foreign minister, he apparently also met with the French president, the German president, and other European officials. So you've got Kerry, who is conducting this shadow diplomacy, apparently advancing a principle that is contrary to where the president is going, and he's the former Secretary of State. Now, I, I bring this up, again, not because there's ever been anybody prosecuted under the Logan Act, and like I say, there's all sorts of free speech issues with that and things like that, but but here's, again, the double standard. I mean, you know, people, it was the lead story day after day after day when it was the, you know, 2B National Security Advisor Michael Flynn who was engaging in meetings before Trump took over. Here you have John Kerry, who has no connection and will have no connection, I guarantee you, to the present administration, who is apparently out there trying to advance and pursue policies which are directly contrary to where the current administration of the government wants to go. Now, am I calling for John Kerry to be prosecuted under the Logan Act? No, I'm not. But I, I think... It, it is, in particularly in this case, it is extremely bad form for him to be doing it. But I talk about, again, the double standards. If it was a headline story when Trump's national security advisor to be, Michael Flynn, was doing this stuff, why isn't it a headline story when the former secretary of state, who, again, isn't going to be in power in the next couple months, is out there advocating and apparently trying to negotiate deals behind the back of the U.S. government? And that, that gets nothing. It gets crickets. And for people out there who wonder why conservative commentators, you know, point out and obsess from time to time about double standards in media, this is one of these classic examples of it. You know, John Kerry, if what, if what Michael Flynn did was something that commentators thought was worthy of being charged under the Logan, under the Logan Act, what John Kerry has done is that on steroids. It's that on steroids, and yet you have crickets. Bottom line was Flynn didn't deserve to be charged. Kerry probably hasn't committed a a prosecutable violation because I don't think the Logan Act is enforceable. But what he's doing is wrong, and it's dangerous. When it comes to dealing with foreign governments, the U.S. is supposed to speak with one voice. And in this particular case, 
Kerry is out of power. It's not even like, like I say, Donald Trump is going to be the president. So, you know, you're making outreach to different government leaders saying, hey, in a couple of weeks, you know, this is this is where we are going to be going. We want to hit the ground running. That's at least defensible. What Kerry is doing is completely indefensible and, again, completely a double standard. All right, when we come back, big story number three, if you poke at the bear, should you be surprised if the bear pokes back? Stick around. It's 1242. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1246. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, we're in the midst of National Nurses Week. It's a time to celebrate all those in the profession. Also bring to life the growing shortage in the field. Gene Miller has the details. 751 tomorrow, Wisconsin's Morning News. Let me give a shout out to my favorite nurse, my uh, stepdaughter. Um, my stepdaughter, Jenny. So I was over at her house yesterday. So there you go. She's a nurse and they do a great, great job. No question about it. All right. <laughs> There, there is, there is screaming irony every once in a while, and I, I do, I do love some of the stories that demonstrate that. Uh, Gru, who's producing the show today, do you know um, the, the the actress um, Alyssa Milano? You're, you're familiar with her, uh, yeah, from the night. She, she's who's the boss, Melrose Place, Charmed. My name is Earl. Um, yeah, that, those those type of things. I mean, she's also. Um, in addition to being a a star, she was in Commando. She played a role there. Um, you know, she's done a she's done a lot of lot of stuff. She's probably on the kind of on the downside of the career now, but but she did a lot of stuff. She's also an anti gun activist. So last weekend, the NRA had its convention in Dallas. We're going to talk about a story emanating that from just a minute. But there were a, a number of of protesters who showed up to do their own anti-gun protest, you know, outside the NRA convention. I, I love the story. So this Alyssa Milano, she she shows up, right? She shows up. She's part of the protest. Fine. You know, people, too many guns out on the street. We need gun control, all that type of stuff. All right. Well, she didn't show up by herself. Apparently, she showed up with a security guard because, well, I mean, you know, she doesn't want the – she, she feels that she needs protection when she goes out in public from, you know, whatever. And that's that's all OK. All right. She shows up. She wants protection. So she's got the security guard. Well, guess what? The security guard was armed. She goes to an NRA uh, to protest the NRA talking about, hey, we need gun control. Too many guns out on the street. And she shows up with an armed security guard at her side. Again, this is, again, this screaming hypocrisy, and it's the double standards that you see you know, over and over again. Hey, we're Hollywood celebrities. We care about the planet. We need to have all these restrictions to take care of climate change and global warming and that stuff. But, oh, um, yeah, here, let us jump on our jets, and the three or four of us will fly to Buenos Aires for the, the conference. It is the complete and total lack of self-awareness, which is just incredibly amazing. Oh, we, we you know, we, we need to make it more difficult for private citizens to own firearms. Um, oh, here, no, hey, don't talk to me. You know, talk to my security guard, Steve. And, oh, yeah, Steve's packing heat as well. All right. Speaking of the NRA conference, um, as I was saying a minute ago, I, I label the story, well, if you poke the bear, don't be surprised if the bear pokes back. It, in this area there's there's the guy bill penzi he's the kind of whacked out lefty who runs penzi spices and 
on an almost monthly basis. He does this newsletter that he sends out, and it's not just about what's the latest in the spice industry, but it's got all sorts of his whacked-out left-wing political diatribes uh, demonstrating particularly, like a lot of his customers, the disdain that he holds for so many of you that, you know, for example, live in Milwaukee County or if you live in Waukesha or Ozaki County, you know, you are all part of the problem because you vote for those evil Republicans and how terrible this is. Well, all right, he, he does it. And I, I got to believe that he gets some business from it and it costs him other business because, for example, I just I, there's, there's no way that I would ever shop at Penzi Spices. I, I just I wouldn't. It's not a question of a formal boycott. It's just when you have somebody that owns a business that holds what, you know, your political beliefs in such complete and utter dis- disregard, it's fine. You know, why do you need to patronize that person who just, again, holds you in complete disregard? Well, I was thinking about that when I saw this story. So last weekend, there's the conference. The NRA members are coming to town. They're in Dallas. There is a, a restaurant called Ellen's, which is in downtown Dallas. And starting Friday, starting Friday at the start of the NRA convention, for people who went in and ate at this particular place, what they did is they put on the receipt starting Friday something that said this, so that you'd get the you get the bill and then they printed at the bottom of the receipt Thanks for visiting Ellen's. A portion of this week's proceeds will be donated to organizations dedicated to implementing reasonable and effective gun regulations that protect citizens' Second Amendment rights but also help reduce needless violence. So um, that's what they said. They put that up there. And what happened is, you know, a number of people said, well, okay, why, why are you, you know, why are you doing this. This is, you know, here you have people that are talking about the restaurant says we're going to donate money to, you know, people who support you know, causes that support gun control. Um, clearly a dig at the NRA and clearly a dig at a lot of the NRA members. Then it says, welcome to Dallas. Well, after the word got out about this, you know, the NRA, you know, put out its own statement um, encouraging people not to, you know, patronize this particular restaurant all right and so then the story you know it it went viral the nra said well you know we we think you should steer clear of this restaurant because they are they're there and my phrase they're they're poking the bear they put this on there specifically saying okay we're going to take a portion of the proceeds and and we're going to use it to find organizations we're not donating it to the nra we are donating it to organizations that support essentially gun control measures that's what they were saying and the nra says okay steer clear of this restaurant Right, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, the fallout of this has been interesting because a number of people are criticizing the NRA for essentially advising the people that were attending this conference not to patronize this place. Well, all right, the owners, and I'm curious as to your reaction. I mean, are you surprised that the NRA would do this? The owners of this place have every right to do what they want, and they have every right to put something like that on the register receipts. No question about it. But when you poke the bear, don't be surprised if the bear pokes back. 
Bill Penzi locally has every right to put out, you know, these newsletters that he puts out, you know, slamming what he thinks is the bigoted, narrow-minded people in Waukesha County or Ozaki County or whatever. But if those people then decide, okay, we're not going to patronize this place, that is the logical effect of this. This was something that was brought on by the owners of this restaurant. They decided they wanted to take a dig at the NRA, and I think it's silly to expect that the NRA not respond. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Were the, was the group, the organization, being heavy-handed and responding this fashion, or was this entirely predictable and maybe, maybe even wanted? Because my guess is there's probably people around there that don't like the NRA, maybe not too many in Dallas, but at least some, and maybe they'll now flock to Ellen's. 414-799-1620, I have no problem with the NRA's response. This was in response and precipitated by something that this restaurant did 414-799-1620 let's start with dave and racine dave you're first hello uh you know i'm a business person and you know sometimes politics come up and i try to weed through it i'm a conservative but that's just for example 45 percent of everybody out there is a democrat 45 percent are republican or you know mm-hmm. why go ahead and tick off 45 or 40 percent of the people who would be in your business at any given time yeah, I mean, that, that, right, it, it makes no sense, and perhaps even more, because now you've got this big convention that, that's coming down there. These these are the people that you hope are going to patronize it, and you they made a conscious decision starting on Friday, here, we're going to kind of poke that bear on gun control. And, you know, okay, why would you think, why would you do something like this? I don't know. When we were kids, your your parents always said never discuss money, politics, or religion. That was pretty much, you know, the, depending on where you were, you didn't bring it up, and I'm just... I don't get why people want to go ahead and upset people, regardless right. of who's in your restaurant. Why do it? Why well, do you bring it up? Well, it's, it's, exactly. And thanks to call Dave. And see, and that's why this is different. I, I know some people would say, "Well, you know what? What about you know you rail against the the boycotts and things like that? Why why would you do that? You know, because you say, okay, when the left tries to organize a boycott of Palermo's Pizza and all, well, okay, there, there's a difference." For example, some of the efforts that the left has had to try to boycott, it's because, well, okay, the owners of this company gave money to Scott Walker or something like that. It wasn't sort of an in-your-face type of thing. In this case, this particular restaurant has decided to be aggressively in-your-face. Here, your NRA members coming down here, but just so we know, if you spend your money here, we're going to take a portion of it and we're going to give it to groups that, you know, do not support, you know, your agenda. Okay, well, that's aggressively in your face. To me, that's different than saying, oh, I'm going to single out this business because the owner made a contribution to X candidate or Y candidate. This is the business trying to provoke a uh, a response and then being upset when it gets a response that it doesn't like. 1256, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 108, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, did you say uh, Packers safety, haha, Clinton Dix, graduated, got a degree in criminal justice? Yes. All right, now, see, this is a guy who's thinking about his future because, I mean, l- l- let's think about this. If you're trying to figure out how you're going to make money in a living, like, after football, I mean, what could be better than a former football player who understands the criminal justice system? Because you know that there's going to be a ready mix of clients, you know, with all the NFL players arrested for guns or dope or assault or whatever. I mean, it's just... I'm, I'm telling you, I think it's a cottage industry there. I mean, if, if I were him already, I'd be passing out my cards saying, hey, you know, <laughs> you're just, you're, you're, 
<laughs> you're, you're, you're laughing. You don't know what to say. You do yeah. know what to say, but you're just going to let it go, huh? I'm just going to let you go with this one. <laughs> so, well, I'm just saying there. All right. It's like, hey, I mean, you just, you just kind of think about that. It's like, all right, because every – this is the, the most dangerous time um, where, where I think NFL general managers really um, – like they, they hate it when the phone rings – is after the mini camps – and before training camp starts, there's like six or eight weeks where the players are kind of on their own. And, and that's where you get a, just lots of bad stuff can happen. And you know every time the phone rings at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know it's not somebody calling you to tell you that they've, you're, they're doing a good job. They're calling to tell you that, oh, your defensive tackle just got arrested with, you know, um, 100 pounds of weed and an unregistered shotgun you know, and, and $200,000 in cash. You know that's what these calls are. And these general managers, it's kind of like, oh, for God's sake, you know, please don't do this. So, I'm, I mean, I, am, I give this man credit. I mean, that, that's great. You know, as, as time goes on, it's kind of. You know, hook up with some law firm, pass out the cards. Yeah, ready-made, ready-made recruiting tool. Okay, that—that's business development. That's within the law they call being a rainmaker. Um, all right. I now, Gru, who's producing the show today and always, do you watch Saturday Night Live? You—you you do. I—I um—I watched it the first couple of years it was out with the original. You know, go back to the original stuff and Chevy Chase and. Um, he was just there for one year, but Bill Murray and John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin, all those folks. And, and I admit that I, and even back then, even in the glory days, I thought it was kind of hit or miss. I mean, they'd have some stuff that was really funny and they'd have a lot of stuff that you go, eh. um, and then I just, I stopped watching it. Um, as, as a general rule, I just, and it, it's, I mean, I acknowledge that some of the stuff that they do is funny. It just, it just, I started doing other stuff. You know, now, of course, everybody focuses on the opening of Saturday Night Live and, I don't typically watch it live, but it's always posted on YouTube. And last Saturday night, they did one, I mean, it was seven and a half minutes, and perhaps you saw it. If you didn't, you can access it on the, the Internet. But it had Ben Stiller, who was playing, you know, the actor, comedian Ben Stiller, who was playing uh, Michael Cohen. Alec Baldwin always plays Trump. Scarlett Johansson was playing Melania Trump. Um, and, and they went through one thing after another. And I kind of admit it was, I thought it was, I thought it was kind of funny. And of course, then the big reveal at the end is they show the Alec Baldwin, Donald Trump character on the phone and they bring in the real Stephanie Clifford, also known as Stormy Daniels. And it was, I, I thought it was, it was funny. Um, Steve Scafidi, when we were talking a little while ago, he said, I was really surprised that Stormy Daniels was there, to which I said, are you nuts? I mean, with all due respect, Steve, <coughs> the most dangerous place in America right now, as I said, is between a TV camera and the Stormy Daniels and her attorney. I mean, my God, she will show up anywhere there is a camera. And if you thought anybody invited her, if you thought anybody would, she would have turned down the chance to be on Saturday Night Live, um, you're, you're just crazy. She's the one that shows up outside of federal courthouses. And, of course, people flock to her because she's a, a pornographic movie actress who says she had this one-night stand with the president. but So I wasn't surprised to see her appear in this thing at all as she continues to extend her 15 minutes of fame. And as I have said before, um, it does say, to me it says everything you need to know about America in 2018, that when the pornographic film actress, I say that in quotation marks, appears on 60 Minutes to talk about a one-night stand that she had with at the time a real estate developer who now 10, 11 years later has gotten himself elected president of the United States, that draws 22 million viewers. Um, when the former FBI director, 
appears to talk about his relationship with the uh, President of the United States. That draws $9 million. I mean, that, that just says everything you need to know uh, about America. But anyhow, she appeared, and I, I thought... I thought it was it was funny, even though I am at the point where it, it just it's, it's kind of enough is enough. I, I don't find her to be a sympathetic figure at all. And, and candidly, I, I think everybody in this everybody in this sordid thing, whether it's Stormy Daniels or her attorney or Michael Cohn, everybody that's kind of involved in this whole thing. Just I, I think they all deserve each other. I guess that's sort of my my response on this. Rudy Giuliani, who is the former. I first met him when he was the U.S. attorney back in the 80s in the Southern District of New York, which is New York City. Um, crime-busting, self-promoting U.S. attorney, but very, very aggressive. He parlayed that gig into um, being America's mayor. He's the mayor of, of New York City and uh, got a lot of very favorable stuff, ran for president. That did not end up going anywhere and he's been kind of hanging around in the periphery of the Trump orbit. He's now been brought in as one of the people to try to clear up the the mess that uh, President Trump finds himself in over the whole Stormy Daniels thing. So let me let me kind of back into where I'm going with this. Um, Giuliani's getting a lot of criticism because he goes on TV and he I, I think tells the truth. He says that well y- yes you know President Trump you know knew about. You know, the payment to uh, this woman to have her the confidentiality agreement. New York Times calls it hush money. But anyway, it's a confidentiality agreement. There's nothing illegal about about this. And he says that despite, you know, former denial uh, previous denials, Trump knew about it. OK, um, now I think Giuliani is telling the truth, as I have said for weeks, the, the here's what I think happened. And let, let's just kind of cut through all the B.S., Let's cut through all the beans. This is what happened. 2007, Donald Trump, multimillionaire, playboy, real estate guy, who has in the past bragged about, would go on Howard Stern and brag about the number of women that he had sex with. All right? 2007, when maybe in the back of his mind he's thinking, gee, maybe someday I could be president. But right now, he's, he's just a multimillionaire, billionaire, however much money he had real estate operator. He's also the star of, and I put star in quotation marks for this, the reality show The Apprentice and The Celebrity Apprentice. But his star is kind of dimming a little. He's at this golf tournament. you got a bunch of porn film actresses that are there. He brings the one up to his room, and the two of them have sex. I, I think that happened. I understand the president says, no, I don't believe him. All right? I, I think that ended up happening. All right? So... Then you've got years later, he's now there's a running for president. She wants to try to sell her story because she sees it as an opportunity to make money. They cut a deal where she gets $130,000 essentially to, to go away. All right. Do I think that happened? Absolutely. Enter the president's attorney, this Michael Cohen, who comes out and tells this story, which it makes no sense to me at all. As as an attorney, one attorney to the other, this makes no sense. His story is that well, um, yeah, I the, the story that's being put out by the president, my Cohen is yes, I paid her, but he didn't know anything about it, and there's questions where the proceeds come from. That makes no sense. I mean, that's just not how attorneys operate. If I am representing my producer Gru and we're trying to negotiate a confidentiality with someone who wants to talk about something in his past, I I, 
first of all, I'm not going to settle the case without saying, hey, Gru, I've got a chance to settle this case. That's number one. Number two, the settlement proceeds aren't coming from the lawyer's pocket. That's not how lawyers make money. Lawyers make money by charging clients by the hour or taking a percentage out of a out of a settlement. Lawyers don't just reach into their pocket and pay settlements on the client. So, I mean, if I'm representing Gru in a case like that and Stormy Daniels wants to talk about how they had a Gru and she had a one night stand somewhere along the line. All right, first it's, hey, I've got this settlement agreement. Do you want me to sign off on it and then give me the money and I'll pass it on? So this whole this story never made any sense a- at all. Other than, is it embarrassing, I guess, under these circumstances? And Donald Trump was married to his current wife at the time, so that's embarrassing. But the, the whole story never made sense. So enter Rudy Giuliani, who is now one of the new lawyers for the president. And he's looking at this, and he's saying, well, look, I don't think there I can tell exactly what's going on. There's no crime that really has been committed here. I understand some people think maybe they can tie something in with campaign finance. No, that's not the case. That that's just, They will never be able to secure a conviction for that. And Giuliani, I think, is probably looking at this and saying, we've created this mess. We've got all these statements and we're saying these things that are factually incorrect or lies or misstatements or whatever. We've just got to get back to square one, which is there's no crime committed here, but we got to dig our way out. And so Giuliani goes out and says, yeah, he, Trump knew. Yeah, he paid her and Trump knew about it and all that stuff, which I think is probably undoubtedly what ended up happening. And so now all these people are criticizing Rudy Giuliani for the stuff he said. I I think he's just trying to figure out the best way to represent a client when you have all these statements that are out there that are inconsistent with themselves and probably inconsistent with the truth. Here is the reality, and I guess this is the point that I would like to talk with you about. Regardless of whether you love Donald Trump or you hate Donald Trump, regardless of whether you agree with his policies or you disagree with the policies. I think we should all be able to agree that over this man's history, he has had, how could we describe it, a tortured relationship with the truth. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, and, and that's just, that's the history of his dealings as a real estate agent, as a real estate developer. That That's just it. Um, you know, he has a habit of saying, what he thinks he will help him at a particular time. In other words, he makes a lot of stuff up. There's no question about it. At least I believe that. I I do not believe that he is a man who you could trust as far as what he says. All right? So that's the reality. Now, I guess you have to decide, does he lie about everything? Does he lie about unimportant stuff? Um, Are these white lies? Are these puffing? Is it puffing? Actually, he was a New York real estate developer. All New York real estate developers um, puff or, you know, put the best spin on stuff or, or whatever. But I think it's fair to say that he has a tortured relationship with the truth. And this whole thing with the one night stand with the porno actress back in 2007, I think demonstrates that. I believe, you know, what he should have said is, okay, go tell your story. Who cares? I mean, seriously, would one person not have voted for Donald Trump if this woman comes out and says, B, back in 2007, you know, we had a one-night stand? I mean, I just, I don't think that would have cost him one vote. Now you've got this web of lies which keeps this story on the front burner day after day after day when I think most people really, big picture, I want us to deal with North Korea. I want us to deal with the economy. I don't care what Donald Trump did with a porno star actress or whatever back for one night in 2007. But yet, again, by 
by putting out these convoluted stories, we keep it in the news. Here is my question to you, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you care if the president has a, we will describe, tortured relationship with the truth? Do you care if he's lying about the Stormy Daniels thing? Do you care if he's less than truthful about other aspects of his personal life or his background or his business dealings? Is that a voting issue to you? Does it matter to you? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you care? Because I think it's almost impossible, candidly, to not acknowledge that this president does have a tortured relationship with the truth. We'll use it in certain circumstances. But does that necessarily make him a bad president? Do you care? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 122. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 124. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Selena in present prairie. Selena, good afternoon. Hi, how are Hi. you? I'm well, thank you. Do, 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 let us assume, for the sake of argument, that the president um, tells falsehoods from time to time. Do you care? Do I care? Yeah. No, I don't think he's any different now than he was before. I don't mm-hmm. think he was before and he's any is now. He is who he is, and I didn't vote for him for those reasons, and I would say the most, most politicians are pretty much liars anyway. Mm-hmm. And I, the one thing I wanted to say is because I'm tired of hearing about Stormy Daniels, but I think if she pay hush money, uh, she should pay it back. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's I – mean, now, thanks for this, – this is – as a matter of fact, I have two texts from people who are saying, can you explain this whole thing? Right, here, here's what's going on. She she cut this deal. She took $130,000. Um, now she's saying – and that's what these lawsuits are – that she should not talk – she should be able to give back the money – and then be able to tell slash sell her story anywhere, which, of course, begs the question, what else is there about her story that, that we don't know? I mean, my God, she had – I mean, she's all over 60 minutes. She's clearly violating that that agreement. Um, yeah, I think she should pay back the money um, because she did not live up to that agreement and then go from there. I mean, see, the, the Stormy Daniels thing is a sideshow because, again, th- this woman and her attorney – Two of the greatest self-promoters since Barnum and Bailey. I give them credit for that. And they've managed to take this one-night stand that I believe happened back in 2007 and turn it into a cottage industry so that when she goes and she strips, you know, at a club in Fort Worth, for example, people line up for 10 hours to wait to see her. I mean, now, that does that is one way of telling you that God's – it is God's way of telling you that you got too damn much time on your hands if you can stand outside a strip club for 10 hours to wait to get in to see this woman. But I digress. 414-799-1620. All right. Do, do we care? Should we care? Vincent on the northwest side. Hi, Vincent. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. I think we should care because when anybody – when anyone lies to you, it's basically insulting your intelligence. Mm-hmm. And, and and so when, when when the president does it, I think it it, it 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 fosters at a higher level when he deals on a daily basis of uh, uh, of alternative facts. I, I think uh, it, it, it 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 kind of brings down the nation. And when he talks to uh, when he talks to foreign officials, how can they believe anything that comes out of his mouth if this is this is the way he operates? Does it matter? about what the what the lie is does it matter is it okay to lie about um i I don't know whether you had a one-night stand with a porn actress in 2007 versus what your intent is with regard to 
a nuclear arms agreement tomorrow? No, certainly, certainly amount. There are levels to, to a particular, you know, lying about it. The Stormy Daniels issue is, is to me, kind of, kind of a mood issue. The fact mm-hmm. is, the only, only reason why it's important is that is the, is the payoff from the attorney. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, is that you know, uh, the, the guy was having an affair with Stormy Daniels, and he was having an affair with his uh, another mistress at the time. I think the point is, the reason why they paid it is because they didn't want a bimbo eruption. <laughs> So, so, so the fact is, no, that, 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 <laughs> I haven't heard bimbo. I haven't heard that term since the Clinton years. But yeah, yeah the, the bimbo eruption. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I think that's the only reason why they paid paid Stormy Daniels. But the fact is, is that you know there there are certain levels to certain things. But the fact is, since he's been in office, this is how he's operated. You know, with mm-hmm. you know when you come out, even even uh, uh, Kelly or whatever her name right. is came up with the thing of alternative we got alternative facts which means that we have lives for lives yeah well like it, it and it, it did kind of start with how many people show up at the inauguration who cares how many people showed up at the you who cares if more people showed up for the barack obama and, and, inauguration really really obviously didn't get the memo so. <laughs> thanks for the call all right um I, i'm going to tell you i'm going to give you my answer to that question uh that i threw out that does it matter if the president lies just a minute it's 129 uh, stick around 136 jeff wagner wtmj i was thinking back on many of the presidents in my lifetime lyndon johnson i think history shows he was a liar he would he would do and say whatever he needed to do at his time richard nixon well documented untruthful um jimmy carter i think carter was incompetent as a president but basically an honest guy ronald reagan i think basically an honest guy george bush the first president bush basically honest Bill Clinton, he was a liar. I mean, he just was. I mean, Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton was Donald Trump before there was Donald Trump. Bill Clinton would, he was, he was more sophisticated at doing this. He was a better liar. But Bill Clinton, I think, was was a liar. Um, George H. W. Bush and Barack Obama, I, I think, basically honest people. And I understand you might like seize on different, you know, things that they said or whatever. It's oh, a liar. But I, I'm talking about big stuff, little stuff. Um, you know, a, a problem with the truth. So then the question becomes, does it matter? And I want to be real consistent here because, I mean, I, you know, I think, you know, Bill Clinton did huge damage to his legacy by, again, this relationship with the truth on matters big and small that was tenuous. And I think it's the same thing is true with, with Donald Trump. I think, and, and this is, comes from a perspective of somebody who agrees with a lot of his policies. I, I think he's, what he's doing with the federal court is, is something that's going to, be very, very positive, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now with his appointees. That's why I think it's important to get as many appointees through before the end of the year, because who knows what's going to happen in the midterm elections. I think he's been very positive about that. I don't think that we'd be looking at even a potential settlement with North Korea if it weren't for, you know, President Trump talking tough and doing some of those things. I think the economy's doing well. I think he gets the credit for a lot of stuff. But if you're going to ask me, you know, does it, does it matter if you have a president that you, you can't really trust what they say? I, I would say yes. And it, it's disappointing that this is at that state. But, I mean, I think in many respects, President Trump is like President Clinton. And and what's so frustrating to me is if, if Trump – see, I think Trump, I think his popularity, I think he could be in the mid-50s when you look at all the stuff that's going on – Except you've got all the, this baggage that's out there, and you've got the tweets, and you've got the casual relationship with the truth on matters large and small. Who cares? As I was saying before the break, who cares? 
you know, whether more people showed up at his inauguration that showed up at Barack Obama's. Who cares? I, I mean, so so why pursue this? This whole Stephanie Clifford, Stormy Daniels thing, it makes my head want to explode. All right. You know, really, at the end of the day, before the election, you've got this woman who's a pornographic actress who says, yes, I, I went up to his hotel room and we had sex back in 2007. All right. Let her tell her story. Let her sell her story to Penthouse or to Hustler if they still make that magazine or Playboy or whatever. It was not, there was not one person in November of 2016 who voted for Donald Trump who wouldn't have voted for him because some pornographic film actress comes up and says, 10 years ago, you know, we, we got it on one night in a hotel room in Florida. But, but yet it's, it's by denying it. It's by concocting these sort of convoluted arrangements to try to keep the matter from going public that it, you you then it just multiplies and now you can't turn on the damn TV without seeing this woman on you know who's overexposed no pun intended on this stuff but but it's why it's what I think has been holding back President Trump and will continue to hold him back and and define him unless you can all of a sudden the light bulb goes off one day and he just kind of wakes up and says okay en- enough is enough I'm I'm just going to I'm going to just let it all hang out there because I don't think it's going to matter anywhere. So, yes, yes, I, I denied it because I didn't want to embarrass my wife at the time. But, yes, I had this affair with this woman. Or it wasn't even an affair. Yes, I, I did this. Yes, I did that. You know, Put all the cards on the table. Maybe some of it's embarrassing. But then get on to the business of governing the country. Does it matter that you have a president who has a cavalier relationship with the truth? Yeah, it does. It Does that mean that Trump isn't going to go on to potentially be a good president, that he's not going to accomplish great things or good things. Yeah, no, it, it, it doesn't. But it is a frustrating thing, and it is a distraction for the people who want to defend him because, gee, I like what's going on in the federal courts. I like a number of the judges that are being appointed. I like the fact that maybe we're going to be able to broker a peace deal between North Korea and South Korea. I like the idea that maybe we're going to look at this Iranian nuclear deal and take a different look at it because the Iranians are just essentially playing everybody for chumps. I like all that stuff. That's positive stuff. I want to talk about that. I want to focus on that. I want to give credit where credit is due for making progress in that regard. But every day we talk about, did you or did you not have sex with Stormy Daniels? And did you or did you not approve a payment? It takes us a further away from doing the stuff that I think is really important. And that's why I, I just, it, it kills me that the president just is, just denies stuff that nobody believes that again, it's just tell the truth about this stuff and then take credit for all the good things that are going on, it seems seems so very simple. All right, when we come back, a controversy about the Kentucky Derby. And this was before the race was run. Stick around. It's 142. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 146, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So the Kentucky Derby was Saturday. Did you have the winner there, Gru? You did not. You didn't bet on it, though. Yes, see, I... I actually, this is one of those times where I had the winner, and um, unfortunately, I didn't have any of the other horses that I needed surrounding the, the winner. So, once again, not cashing too many tickets on the Kentucky Derby, but it's always fun. It's always exciting to, to do that. The Kentucky Derby is, of course, run at Churchill Downs in Kentucky. Before the race, and if you watch the coverage, you saw this, every year... 
they sing the song My Old Kentucky Home. Now, let me give you a quick history lesson lesson now. My Old Kentucky Home was written by Stephen Foster. Stephen Foster, for those, if you're not familiar with it, he's generally referred to as the the father of American music. He, He lived 1826 to 1864. So he died before the Civil War w- was over. So that that's kind of the, the time. Um, he he wrote a, a number, over 200 songs. Some of the best known would be, he wrote Old Susanna, you know, Old Susanna, Don't You Cry For Me, Camp Town Races, um, Swanee River, Beautiful Dreamer, I Dream of Jeannie with the Light Brown Hair. Those all go back to the, the 1800s. And he wrote My Old Kentucky Home. Now, keep in mind, at the time he was writing these songs, slavery existed in the United States. Interestingly enough, Stephen Foster was an abolitionist. He, he was not a supporter of slavery. And he is generally credited with, in a number of his songs, treating the, the slaves with with a degree of, of respect that you did not hear in other songs. But, I mean, he's a product of his times. There is slavery. Like I say, he dies in 1864. So what what does this have to do with, with the song My Old Kentucky Home? Well, My Old Kentucky Home is one of his songs. And the way – and this is a song which appears in the American um, – American Library of Congress. So, I mean, it's been recognized. It is a great American song. Um, the original lyrics of the song, when it was first written, and again, it's written in the 1800s, um, the, uh, the the way the song goes now is, the, song, the sunshine was bright in my old Kentucky home. Tis summer, the people are gay. The corn tops ripe in the meadows in the bloom, while the birds make music all day. The young folks roll on the little cabin floor, all merry, all happy, all bright. By and by, hard times come a-knocking at the door. Then my old Kentucky home, good night. Okay, that, that's the first verse, all right? That's the way it is sung now. Second line, the sun shines bright in my old Kentucky home. Tis summer, the people are gay. When the song was originally written in the 1800s, that second line, tis summer, the people are gay. That's not how it was written. The line was, "'Tis summer, the darkies are gay." All right, which, uh, again, uh, racial overtones, racist, absolutely. All right, that was changed. The Kentucky legislature, a matter of fact, changed that, that line in, eight, in 1986 to, to be people. And so that is how it is presented now in today's standards, and that's how it's known. And I bring this up because there is a huge controversy. Um, And again, Stephen Foster historically was, in fact, anti-slavery, and and many of his songs are some of the first by American composers to to focus on on African Americans and and try to view them as a positive light. But again, he's a product of his time, so you've got that language. All right, so I'm looking at a, a story. This is in the Washington Post, but there's many out there. My old Kentucky home, the Kentucky Derby's beloved fraught sing-along about slavery. And, you know, it goes on to talk about how, you know, lots of people believe that this song, written before the Civil War, with 
again, some of the racist language that was contained originally but no longer exists, how this is just an inappropriate song to play in 2018. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it time to put this song to bed? Because, again, it used language of its time, which would clearly be unacceptable by today's standards, which has, in fact, you know, been changed to arguably maybe change the meaning of the song a, a little bit. But, okay, should we do away with this song because of what the lyrics originally said? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 151. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, my old Kentucky home. Should we do away with the song? Stick around. It's 154, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so last Saturday, Kentucky Derby. The state song of Kentucky is my old Kentucky home, written in the mid-1800s by Stephen Foster. Actually, it was inspired by the abolitionist novel, uh, My Old Kentucky Home, and, and is a, 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 a testament, essentially, to, to a, a slave. Um, it contains language that, by today's standards, would be considered to be offensive, by uh, no question about it. A lot of that language has been removed, so that's not the way the song is sung now, but it was there when it was originally written. All right, do, do we simply say, okay, let's do away with the song. Um, we, we, can't, we can't separate the song, even with the changed lyrics, from what the sentiment was when it was written back in 18-whatever. Mike on the Northwest Side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. I, I, I just still believe that traditions are traditions. Uh, keep the song the way it is. You can... Uh Put a footnote in the thing. This is how you know we, you know, mention what the history was back then, so people of today's generations know it. But you start losing traditions, you start losing family ties, and everything else that meant a lot to, to a lot of people, and uh, it just starts mm-hmm. to disintegrate the uh, bonds of uh, family and tradition and country after a while. Well, it, it's. I mean, thanks for calling, Mike. It, it's all about rewriting history, I guess, and, and that's kind of how I I look at this. I think what the legislature in Kentucky did, and again, this is a song which, and it, it's in the American, you know, Congress of Music, American Library of Congress. It, it, it is a great American song. And I, I mean, I think they have changed the lyrics over the years to better reflect modern sensibilities. And I think that's completely appropriate as well. But again, it is one of these sort of traditional songs that's out there. I mean, he wrote. Stephen Foster wrote music for minstrel shows, for example. Now, I, I mean, I understand we don't have minstrel shows anymore, but but that's he was a product of his time. And to me, like I say, the ultimate irony of this whole story is the fact that he this song that now some people find offensive was at its time written as a in support of of abolitionists. Um, you know, who were trying to portray again, it was some people thought that slaves were something other than than human. And, and that's the, the intent of this song is try to to try to, you know, dispel that myth. And so now we're at a point where at least some people don't think you should be able to have it. Plus, it, it look, it's a pretty song. I just don't think you should sanitize history. And by removing these types of songs, that is precisely what folks are trying to do. So, I mean, 
I, I hope they continue playing this. I hope we don't give in to, again, the, the politically correct and the perpetually offended. I hope, you know, you recognize that this song was a product of its time, and then we move on. Speaking of moving on, in the next hour of the show, Grandma's got a gun, and she knows how to use it. And have you been getting a lot more of those annoying calls on your cell phone? I have. We're going to talk about what's going on and what needs to be done. Stick around. It's 157. Two H Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, you have a cell phone, of course, right? Yes, sure. Um, have you noticed recently an increase in the number of unsolicited, unknown phone calls from you know numbers you don't recognize? I have seen that. Texts too. I'll get random texts from time to time. Um, how do you handle that? If, if if your phone rings and it's a number you don't recognize, uh, what do I you don't do? answer. I don't answer. Right. Never. You've, let it ring and then mm-hmm. see if they leave a voicemail yep, or whatever. Yep, yep. You have noticed a lot more. Yes. You are not alone. Rue, would you be in the same situation? You've noticed a lot. You are it, it's not just your imagination. Here here is the number. Automate and, and let me just kind of back into this. All right. I, I have I have two cell phones. I have one that I use for regular stuff, and not that many people have it for for whatever reasons. Not, I mean, not that many, not that many people have the number. Okay, we were just looking at my producer there, saying where did that noise come from? All right, not that many people have the, the number, but it is my regular. It, it's the regular cell phone number, and I I swear on any given day, I will get half a dozen more or more calls from numbers that I don't recognize. And in some cases, I, I can tell they're what's called spoofing numbers because what they do is they'll use the same, like, prefix. So let, let's say let's say your, your phone number is 262-555 and then four numbers, four digits. What, what you'll see is it'll be 262-555 to make you, th- and then another four digits to make you think that it's kind of like some local call. Um, and it, it's not. The, that's what's called spoofing. It's uh, by making a number like that that looks like your number so you think it's a local call so that you will pick it up. But on any given day, I'll probably get at least half dozen of, of these these calls. And, um, I, again, I'll so and it happens generally like inconvenient times. You're walking around, the phone rings, and you're thinking, oh, gosh, what's going on here? And then it, it's one of these spoofing numbers. I have a second phone. It is the bat phone. And... Only my wife has the number. It's just, it's just, it's a don't. It's a long story as to why I have it. But I have a second phone that nobody has the number to. That I, I rarely, rarely use this second phone, but I have it, and nobody has the number of the bat phone um, except my wife. And, and I will, I will check that, and I see that there's like five or six calls on that number on an almost daily basis from numbers that I don't recognize. So you know it's not friends, it's nobody. It's just you know people are soliciting that. If you have been going through this, you are not alone. Here's the numbers. I'm story in the New York Times today. They estimate that last month, April, all right, over three point four billion billion automated calls were made to 
cell phone customers in the U.S. 3.4 billion robocalls. All right, now let me give you some perspective on that because it's important to have perspective. A year ago, April of 2017, they estimate that there were like two, um, that there were 900 million less. So the number of robocalls month April to April, which is how you like look at things, has gone up almost almost a billion calls in the last year which means that you know people are doing it more and more and more and of course you know one of the problems that happens with these these robocalls is a lot of times if you answer them they're you know completely and totally fake and what happens is you get forwarded to things and next thing you know you're being sold um you know timeshares and things like that um there's also an issue with what they call auto dialers automatic dialers which is you know the way these computers are able to make you know a a million calls a day using these computerized systems in an effort to try to lure people in um i don't know that there's anything you know on a regular basis that's more annoying than receiving these these robo calls these automated calls and part of the problem is it's also very very difficult to you know track down who the callers are. For example, you can put yourself on the on the do not call list and you can say, okay, I, I don't want calls from, you know, the ABC bank. And, and you can get on that. But a lot of these robocalls, it's almost impossible to figure out where they're coming from because you've got the company that's making the calls and then they hire some third party that screens out the calls and does this stuff. And, and so it's almost impossible. You know, do not call lists don't work that well. So one of the things that they're talking about in Congress is trying to figure out a way to toughen up the laws, to really stop this type of practice, or to criminalize it. And again, it's really hard from a question of proof, because lots of the places that do this, they're offshore, they're out of the country, or or whatever. But this is, again, it's a huge complaint that is out there. And I have been noticing, personally at least, that this problem, number one, it's getting worse. And, and number two, it is just in, incredibly annoying. I was at um, my uh, step-granddaughter's concert last last week. And so I, I turn off the, I, you know, I put the phone on vibrate um, while the, the concert's going on. In the space of a 30-minute sixth or seventh grade concert, I, I come out afterwards and I see, and I mean, I knew the thing was, but it was vibrating with the calls. And so, I mean, I, I see I got three in the space of 30 minutes. And, of course, if I didn't have the thing on vibrate, you know, it would have been the phone would have been ringing. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think that this – and, look, I, I'm pro-business. I, I believe in that. I'm a free market guy. But these unsolicited phone calls I think are, number one, they're an annoyance. And, number two, in many cases, the, these calls – really are designed to lure people into scams, kind of like I'm the Nigerian prince, and if you wire me, you know, I, I'm going to send you $2 million or $20 million. All you have to do is just you know, give me your bank account information so I can get $500 to pay for the wire transfer. I, I think many of these robocalls are exactly like that. I think this needs to be a priority. All right, have you noticed an increase in these calls, and is it just a minor annoyance? 
Or is this something that we really need to figure out a way to crack down on? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. We're going to discuss next. Robocalls. Do we need to put a stop to this? Because I will tell you, it is getting worse. If you see a billion more, April to April, that number is going to go do nothing but increase unless unless we figure out a way to put an end to it. 216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. True story, like I said, last Thursday night, I I met my step-granddaughter's seventh-grade concert. I I shut off the phone, or I put it on vibrate, and even in 30 minutes, I get three. Just in this 30 minutes, to, to a phone number that not too many people have, I get Three, you know, unsolicited, I mean, I assume they're the robocalls because there's no message left, but the phone's vibrating right and left. I'm thinking, you know, okay, at some point in time, don't we need to stop this? The number of robocalls April to April has gone up over almost a billion, um, 3.4 billion of these automated calls, many of which are phishing or scams, um, and there doesn't appear to be any will to do anything about it. I think that needs to change. Let's start with Rod in Brookfield. Rod, good afternoon. Hello. This Hi, Rod. Is Ross. Yes, sir. This is, this is Ross. Uh, yeah, you know, actually, it was interesting the other night. My parents got a, a call. My dad always listens to it. They're both 91 years old. and uh, He ended up uh, having the uh, phone call. He could hear that there were people in the background talking. And it was almost like you could tell it was out of the country. Uh, and they called and stated that... Uh, that guy said that he was my nephew uh, who lives in northern Wisconsin and needed a thousand dollars in order to get out of in order, in order to get out of uh, jail right and uh, you know that really shook my parents up um, but you could definitely hear that there were people you know in the background it was definitely on a on a roto call right type thing but you know I can't believe all the unsolicited calls that we seem to get. It's just ridiculous. Well, well, it is, and and and, and obviously, if you've got some of these places, you, you might say, okay, who's going to buy into something like this? But if you've got places, you got some place making a million of these calls a day or whatever, you you are particularly going to find that person. Maybe it's you know an elderly parent or somebody who, who's going to hear that, and next thing you know, they're going to be cleaning out their checking account or whatever. It, it or be sold a timeshare or something. Whatever. It's just it's it needs to be able to be stopped. I guess. I agree. Yeah, no, thank, and that, see, and that's that's the bottom line. And I appreciate this is difficult, but for God's sake, you can put a man on the moon. Okay, we were able to put a man on the moon back in 1969. Why, you know, shouldn't you be able to? I mean, figure out a way to to stop this. And again, a no call list doesn't help. But more and more of us are carrying cell phones, and I understand the technology is raised. And I, I do also understand that there's some apps that can help limit this. But that's not perfect because a lot of these people are able to get away with with the apps. But to me, it, it's it's to me it's something that you should not have to do. We should be, I think, free from this unwanted stuff. And every once in a while, you get the text messages too that that come through. And you know, some of them. Gosh, I got one the other day, which was um, let me put it like this: it was for an adult service that I have no interest in taking advantage of. But I'm like looking at this the, the language in the thing. I'm thinking, wow. Jody in Waukesha. Jody, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Yes, I totally wish something could be done. I own a couple of businesses, and I have to answer 
you know, when it's a, a two six two number or what have you, I have to answer. It right. So you're, and a lot of times you're being spoofed. That, that's you see that two six two number, right? And right. you know, you know, you got to answer because it could be it could be something that wants to take advantage of your business. Sure. Right. And so what I what I do is I hang up and then I I go into my phone and I block that number. However, then it's just called back with a different number. Right. But also, if you listen like to the end of whatever their spiel is. A lot of times it will say push nine or push three to to no longer get these phone calls, and I all, so I do that now as well. Um, but we also we have a small vacation type um, business, and we got an email about a month ago, and they wanted to rent for a, a week. You know, great, but the email in the language was very broken. It was very right. very poorly. And long story short, he wanted our bank. <laughs> information because yeah. he didn't want to use his charge card internationally. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it was just the craziest thing. And, of course, we didn't, you know, we just blocked right. that emailer. But, I mean... Right, but all you need is somebody email. All you need is somebody who, who goes along with that, who doesn't catch on that right. it's a scam, and your bank account gets cleaned out. And even right. if you go to authorities, good luck in, good luck in finding who that person is and, right. you know, good luck in being able to prosecute them. You know, right, and... My mother-in-law, as an elderly person, you know, when she was still alive, we had to change her bank banking information like four times because she would give that information out. She was elderly and mm-hmm. it, it w- was, you know, a little confused. And um, we got a call from the bank after we had changed the account numbers. I don't know how many times. And the bank person said that they got a phone call and they could tell that it was like a, out of the country. Right. Asking for her information right to the bank. <laughs> and you know they were smart enough to realize what was going on, but right. Well, you know, you raise an interesting point, Joy, because I've always thought about it from the personal user perspective. Because, like I say, if, if a number comes in that I don't recognize and they don't leave a voicemail, I just block it, and I figure, okay, right. there's there's some way they can track them down. But at the same time, I understand if you're running a business and yeah. there's a call that comes in and it says two six two or four one four or whatever or six zero eight, you got to answer that because that you if you don't. That might be a client who you're, right. you're missing, huh? Interesting. Right. Thanks for calling. No, but that, that, I I get it, and that's and so then you spend all your time listening to you know these people that are trying to scam you, Helen in Waukesha. Hi, Helen. You're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, oh my gosh! I wish they could figure out a way to block to stop these calls. Sometimes up to five times a day. I will get a call from different numbers, but it's always the same thing. We can lower your credit card rate. <laughs> just press one. So just out of curiosity, I'd press one, and there was always somebody with a very heavy accent on the other end wanting information. Well, Jeff, here's the funny thing. I don't own a credit card. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you know it's a robocall. Well, well, well exactly. Now, thanks for, and again, see, and that's... And, and I'm sure that the purpose, I mean, and again, there's all sorts of things. You can be sold timeshares. There's all sorts of, and they're, they're looking for, they're looking for the, the duck to pluck them. I mean, that, that, that's the, the whole idea here. I'm a duck, come pluck me. That, that's what they're hoping to try to find. And you say, well, okay, well, well, who would give people bank account information or whatever? Well, you catch the right person and, and all you need is if you're, you know, making, Making a hundred thousand calls a day, all you need is to find that one or two people that you can end up taking advantage of. And again, good luck trying to criminally prosecute something. Let's talk to um, Bob in Menominee Falls. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hello. 
Hi, Jeff. Thanks Hi, for taking my call. Sure. Hey, they're raising the bar on this spoofing thing. It's now called masking. I've recently gotten calls from our local ice cream store, our local pick and save, with that actually showing up on the caller ID. You pick it up, and again, it's, you know, somebody trying to sell you something, you know. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, and I call these businesses and I say, I hope you know that somebody's using your number. They're actually picked out your exact number. I dial it back and sure enough, it goes to the local ice cream store. Uh, that's huh. raising the bar to a whole new level. Right. So, yeah. right. So, right. Okay. So they're, they're kind of, they've got some translator or something somewhere that's stealing that phone number to make it look like it's coming from somewhere where it's not. Wow. Well, it actually is. It comes from that ice cream store. And I dial the number back, and yes, it's my ice cream store here in Menominee Falls. And I say, how, how can this be that your number called me, and right. yet it was some sales pitch? The other thing is my wife has gotten close to Medicare now, and oh, my Lord, you know, it's like, here we go. They know the birth date is coming up, and somehow they get these records, and every person is trying to sell you, you know, really? or United Healthcare because they know in three months her birthday is up, and she's going to be ready for Medicare. And those calls are just incessant right now. It, it is no, I mean, th- yeah, exactly. And that it, again, it's I, I, I'm a free enterprise guy. I'm a free market guy, and I understand there's always been stuff like telemarketing, but a lot of these things are scams, and it is the incessant nature of it. And I, I, I do think you know you're, you're trying to look for issues that could perhaps unite conservatives and liberals and Republicans and Democrats. This might be one. Now, I do understand that some of the, the telecommunications industry pushes this. They, they want to see this type of stuff because, um, just like with direct mail, you know, lots of calls means, you know, lots more revenue. But at the same time, this is one where I, I think they've really got to figure out how to do something. I've got a caller here that you know, wants to talk about, like, the Arizona Attorney General who's threatening to prosecute some of the outfits that are doing this. I'm 100% in favor of that. The problem is, it's tough to identify these companies, and if they're offshore, as many of them are, it's tough to bring them to justice. But this is a huge problem, and I bring this up because if you think you're getting more of these calls than you were, say, a year ago, you are. 228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, I lumped this story in the category of no good deed goes unpunished. Okay, so Sunday... Afternoon, Brewers game, it was an awful game. I went to the game on uh, Saturday night. Of the three games, I saw the good game. I saw the one that the Brewers won. And it was. It, Saturday night, they beat the Pittsburgh Pirates. It was a close game. They ended up winning 5-3, to three, had a great time. It was, game ran about three hours, a little over three hours. But it, it didn't seem that long because there was action, there was excitement. It wasn't just kind of people standing around. It was a good, good game. It was a lot of fun. Um, yesterday, the Brewers, as they have been doing, unfortunately, a lot against the teams that are as good as them or maybe slightly worse or slightly better. They laid a huge egg. Ugly. Nine to nothing. Their seventh shutout of the year. And um I you know you don't want to you don't want to panic, but at the same time you're you're seeing these disturbing trends, namely that three or four or five positions just simply cannot hit. And some of the players that were hitting earlier, they're not able to hit. You've been shut out seven times. It's staggering. But anyhow, the first controversy occurred even before the loser of a game. And that is that um, they had a giveaway. They were given, did you hear about this story, Groom? Okay, so the, the giveaway was a, a free lightweight hoodie, all right? And apparently, and, and I, I guess this is the way it operates, a lot of these giveaway things, they order them well in advance. So it, it's not like, I mean, like, like if they're going to have a bobblehead in August, 
chances are the bobbleheads are already packaged and sitting somewhere. It's not like they wait for the stuff to be delivered. They've got it all in advance. And like same thing is true with their T-shirt giveaways and stuff like that. So they've got they've got the the brewer's hoodie, and it's in a package. And my guess is they've had this in the plastic package for a long time, just waiting till all right. It's the day we're going to do the giveaway. Well, in addition to the brewer's hoodie that they were giving out, and again it's wrapped in in plastic. They're not just giving out the hoodies. It's it's packaged in plastic. Um, along with that was this big coupon, 50% discount at a at a local store. And it was all, and I assume this had been prepackaged for quite a while. Well, okay, it's, you know, it's great, 50% off. It's a great coupon. You get this coupon and and you get the hoodie. Well, one problem, um, the, the coupon that they were giving out was uh, to Boston Store. And, of course, oops, you know, Boston Store had presumably announced between the time uh, that this promotion was announced that they were going out of business and liquidating and shutting down all their area stores. So the, the brewers are now faced with this conundrum that they've got the packaging, the hoodie packaged with the coupon it is all sealed and, and ready to go, and they're giving out 20,000 of them. Well, the coupon's no longer any good. So, you know, what do you do? It, it just, it, it's really extremely, I think, expensive and inconvenient to maybe even unrealistic to send all these things back and say, okay, they've got to be opened up and then you got to take the coupon out and then you got to reseal them or repackage them. You know, that is a practical matter. That's not going to happen. So they just went ahead and they gave them out. Um, they did have big signs up that said, fans, today's giveaway includes a coupon from Boston store. Please know that due to their liquidation sale, the coupon is not valid. We apologize for any inconvenience. And so they were telling it. And some fans were, I think a little bit upset with that, but the bottom line is you got a free hoodie for goodness sakes. And, the reason why, again, it's it's not like it's not like the brewers got those coupons and the packaging a day or two ago. This is well set in advance, and I mean, my understanding is like a lot of the giveaways, maybe all the giveaways, are sitting in warehouses now, so you you have them. So um, it's one of those kind of oops things, but I think I would describe that as a circumstance certainly beyond the control of the brewers. All right, here's the story: the lady is seventy years old. She lives in the Philadelphia area. Her name is Maxine Thompson. She says, last Friday night, early Saturday, so Friday night, early Saturday, 4.30 a.m., she is awakened. She hears banging outside her home. She looks out the window, and she sees this guy trying to break into her home. First, I thought I was dreaming. And then I looked out the window outside because I was still hearing banging, 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 banging. So I yelled to whoever, who's that on my door? Get off my door. Get off my door. Despite her warnings, the alleged burglar did not stop and continued to smash her dining room window and then entered the house. Thompson, going into survival mode, grabbed her late mother's handgun, comes down the stairs says this is the first time she'd ever fired the gun and starts shooting at the guy that's broken into her home. I shot at him, she says. He turned around and he ran. And when he ran, I ran down the steps behind him and shot at him some more, Thompson recalled. Kill him before he kills me. That's what's going through my mind. So as soon as Granny comes out packing heat and starts shooting at the guy, 
he turns around and decides to scram. Well, she chases him, and she's shooting him. The alleged burglar, alleged burglar, was struck. Yes, we, we want to be clear here. He's in her house. It's 4.30 in the morning. He's busted in a window. We'll call him an alleged burglar. The burglar was struck while Thompson fired at him several times. He ran to a nearby car wash and called police to report that he had been shot. He's been arrested, taken to the hospital, and treated for a gunshot wound to his upper arm. So, you know, Grandma was trying to kill him, but she only winged him. Um, She said that the incident, you know, played out in just a couple minutes. She recalled how the suspect could have killed her if she didn't fire the gun. After everything was over, I did get a little shaky. He could have killed me. She says that she hopes she taught the alleged home intruder and other people a lesson. Her lesson is stay the hell out of people's houses. <laughs> okay, all right, so that, that's, that's all well and good. But here's where it gets interesting. According to her own admission, she, she fired at the guy when he was in the house. He then turned around and was fleeing. She chased him out of the house, firing at him as he was running. Now, I don't know what bullet actually struck him. and Maybe they'll be able to tell, maybe not. But, I mean, she's she's shooting everything she's got at the guy who is trying to run away. Right? Normally, when it comes to the question of self-defense, you're, you're able to shoot until you dispel the threat. In this case, the guy was fleeing, and she was still shooting. Do you charge grandma with anything? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. She had clearly scared him off after the first or second shot. He was running away. She was chasing after him, firing as he was fleeing. All right, did she go too far? If you were a prosecutor, a cop, if you were on a jury, what would you do with the grandmother who chased the guy who was trying to now get out of his her house after breaking in and shooting. We will discuss. I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a minute, but we'll discuss. I mean, theoretically, she had she had ended the threat, and she was firing at him as he ran away. Did she do anything, in your opinion, that was wrong? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 244. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's start with Tom in Waukesha. Tom, you're first. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Tom. Uh, this, is, this is an easy one. I think uh, I do not own a gun and hopefully never will. But, uh, yes, Granny has every right to defend herself. And once said perpetrator, alleged perpetrator. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, you break into somebody's house at 430 in the morning after she's screaming, don't come in here. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna use the word alleged. I'm with. I'm with you. We'll just call him the bad guy. Yeah. He's got. He's gonna have every chance of not getting shot. And good for her. For <clears throat> I'm not a violent person, but he, so, she has every right to chase him down. And well, what? What? I mean, but let's talk about that. I mean, she's got a right to defend herself. The first shot, okay, fine. I mean, he's in their house. But at that point in time, he is now running away. He's fleeing. You don't think she went too far in chasing after him and shooting until he completely ran away? Not at all. When, and not having been in the situation, right. but when someone is attacking you, right. you go into that mode and 
right. our instincts take over and she's protecting herself and she's enraged as she should be and okay. um well right no thanks yeah. for call well i thanks for call. i mean my argument would be that um regardless of the technicalities of the law the the argument would be that hey she's she's terrified it's the middle of the night and and she wants him gone. Yes, he was retreating. Yes, he was starting to run away. But were it not for the fact that she continued to fire, um, she was concerned that he, he might turn around and come back. Um, 414-799-1620. Okay, Larry in Milwaukee. Larry, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi. What do you think? So she has our right to shoot him because he's in the house. That's right. under the castle law. Right. can still care and everything else. I took some classes on self-defense, textbook classes, actually, I'm going to say it, at MHTC, okay. and in scenarios, someone's doing your TV, can you shoot him? No. Is there a weapon? No. There, okay. So, there's a weapon, yes. Shooting him, he's in your house, you're threatened. He's running away. You cannot shoot him in his back if he's running away. Mm-hmm. That is a no-no. So, First part, she's fine. She's innocent. Second part, now she's guilty. Okay, well, I guess the question becomes, and, and I mean, right, technically, again, that's what I was saying. For self-defense, you are allowed to shoot, use the deadly force to, to dispel the threat. So then it become, what becomes tricky is, all right, what, what happens? Somebody flees. Oh, my God, the person's got a gun. They fired a shot at me. Boom, I'm going to now, I'm going to run away. Um, technically, you, legally, you know, you can't chase someone down the street firing at people. That's why, you know, you, you see sometimes in the movies you have these gunfights where the police are chasing cars and they're shooting at them. That, that, that's, not, that's not the real world. But at the same time, here's the other real world, and that's what I find intriguing about a case like this. Right, it's 4.30 in the morning. You've got a 70-year-old woman. The guy has broken into her house. He's broken a window. He's in there. And, um, you know, she comes out and she comes out shooting. You know, is there a jury in the world which is going to look at this and say, okay, no, we're going to, we're going to criminalize. She, she, she was okay with the first shot or the first, second, first or second shot, but she wasn't okay with the ones after that. That's a tough sell if you're a prosecutor. Let's talk to Brian in Milwaukee. Brian, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Real well, thanks. Okay. Is there a jury in the world that would convict this lady? I mean, I would hope not. Um, You know, I mean, you kind of covered everything I was going to say, but, you know, she's scared to death in the middle of the night, you know, early morning, whatever, you know, does he have a gun? How does how does she know? You know, I mean, right? he's busted into her house. She's she's waking out of a deep sleep by somebody who's kicked in a dining room window and is now in your house. Only self-defense, you know, I mean, she's a little old lady. How else couldn't she defend herself? Um, Yeah. Thanks. Again, this is. This is one, and what I found, again, intriguing about the, this example is it, it's some of these real-life decisions that have to you have to face when you're kind of approaching it from a legal perspective. You cannot chase people down the street that are running away from you and shoot at them. It, that Legally, you're not allowed to do that. But, and this is a capital B-U-T, but, all right, in a situation like this where it's all happening at once, and, she, and she's proud. She's not apologizing. I mean, she's, again, if I were her attorney, my response would be, well, she was, even though the person was running away, she didn't know for sure that he was going to leave. You know, she wanted to make sure that he was gone. She was afraid he was going to come back. Um, that's why she was shooting. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to uh, Dennis in Burlington. Hi, Dennis. Hi, Jeff. I enjoy your show immensely. 
I'm a long retired homicide defense lawyer. Did most of my work in the uh, Chicago area. Okay. There's not a jury in the world, as you said, that'll convict this person. <laughs> right. Um, I don't remember what's that old word, curtilage or something. <laughs> right. Like yeah. That? The, right. The yeah. The, the the area like around the curtilage, the area around your house. Right. Yep. And um, you know, a great prosecutor might hang a jury, but it's not going anywhere. That if they do charge her. <laughs> going to make a probation deal. Well, right, or, or that. I mean, right, because I'm trying to picture somebody, okay, you busted it. He, he is not a sympathetic victim, I would assume, Dennis. <laughs> no, and prosecutors don't like to lose jury trials. Well, well right, and especially, right, plus, okay, you, you know, you're going to you're going to have the, when you're running, when you're the, the DA and you're running for re-election and you're going to be the guy that charged the 70-year-old lady who was shooting at the burglar in her house at 4.30 in the morning. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, thanks, because that's the other thing. I mean, you've got the technical aspects of the law, which I find to be interesting, and then you've kind of got that real-world thing, and I think the real-world thing says, well, this is one where, okay, you, you kind of go back to what the lady says, which is, if you don't want this stuff to happen, don't be breaking into people's houses in the middle of the night. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around, please.